Uh, if you noticed, uh, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, we have done um, uh, a series about God and kind of what's happening in our country right now. Uh, as you, as, if you watch the news or watch the media, uh, there's a lot of uh, just discussions about a financial cliff, discussions with new laws that were put into, into service. And uh, what we discovered when that happens is that I like to speak on some of those topics that come because it's relevant to us. It affects you and I. It affects every individual in our country. And the idea is that, you know, when you watch the news, you rarely hear them appeal to God during this process. Uh, and the idea of these, this, this series last week and today, and really it's just one big sermon, but I had to break it up in two, um, is that when there's no God, there's no gratitude. And there's, then there's, with no gratitude, then there's no accountability. And when there's no accountability, there's no moral consensus on what's right and wrong. And what happens is that law replaces your conscience. And so the issue is not rich versus the not-so-rich. It's not capitalism versus socialism or big government versus big business, as the TV likes to say. It's not a Republican versus Democrat. For me, uh, there's another contrast that's actually at work, and it's, it's better framed this way. If we take the ability to acknowledge God more seriously, it could restore our conscience as a nation. Because somewhere along the line, we are, we are losing our conscience as a nation. And it's namely those who recognize God as the ultimate source of the provision and those who do not consider God the ultimate source of what you have. Um, it's grateful and accountable versus ungrateful and unaccountable. It's, if you're uncomfortable with connecting spirituality and state, I totally understand that. You know, considering what goes on in the Middle East, it's totally understandable. But here's one thing I do believe. If we remove... God from, or religion, or divine accountability and conscience, you're going to have to replace that with laws. If you remove that, then you have to, you have to your nation now becomes more and more about laws. And the culture becomes more secular. And the culture becomes more, it becomes more litigated. It's no longer what right and wrong is, is, matters anymore, it's matters about what the judge says or what the jury believes. And he who has the most money usually wins that battle, as you've seen on TV for many years, right? The person with the most cash has the victory. And it right and wrong are not determined anymore by conscience. And it should be. And we have to create more complex laws. And if the court finds you not guilty, then you're not guilty. Law without God means I'm guilty until I'm caught. A lot of people getting arrested nowadays in the news for insider trading. They're, they're guilty because they just got caught. Where's the moral conscience? You know, in China, they have this old saying. When the emperor wanted to uh, put out a law for the whole entire country of China, uh, the, the people that are, lived the furthest away and were divided by the mountain ranges, the mountains are high and the emperor is far away. In other words, I don't care what he has to say. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. 
There isn't, there isn't a sense of conscience. And so last week we talked about how many laws are there in a healthy relationship? How many laws do you have at home? We have to create all these laws just so we can get along. In a healthy marriage, you don't really have laws. You have conscience. There's right and there's wrong. You know, Karen and I battled for months about who's going to make the bed when we first got married. What was I thinking? Now, whoever is in the room and the bed's not made, you just make it. It's just how it is. You know, before we had to have a law, okay, this is your, you have the kitchen. And I have the trash can. And these two paths will never cross. We had laws. And it wasn't healthy. And when you have a healthy environment, you don't need laws. You go, that's just wrong. And so we talked about that last week. In 2012, give me an example of, of the conscience. You know, President Obama uh, and, and our government gave uh, taxpayer money to companies that were falling apart because they, mis, mis, they had bad stewardship of their own money and their companies were falling apart and they needed us, the taxpayer, to come and rescue them. And so we went and rescued them and then when they got rescued and we had our money and we're doing better, they had, they had their executives got these massive bonuses. Remember that? Yeah. It was like millions and millions of dollars. Like $20 million bonus. Imagine getting that after we rescued them, right? Yeah. And so President Obama says to them, hey, you ought to give that back. Based on what? There was no law. They had every legal right to the money. But he... He kind of shamed them and says, that's not right. You should give that back. And so they gave back zero dollars and zero cents. There's no, there was no conscience. I mean, we the people were like, that is, why, how could you do that? We're, we're struggling to make it. We rescued you. And yet, and yet your conscience is not even bothered by that. It was based on long now, based on fairness, decency. What makes something the right thing to do when there's no law? What makes it right? And so accountability to God has fallen out of favor. Think about it as a country, but also think about it as individually. Today I want to talk about why that is. And maybe you might think it's fallen out because... We're just, we've evolved from 1779. We're just smarter. Aren't we smarter then? Than, I mean, George Washington had wooden teeth. We would never do that. That was crazy to do. Why would the man put wooden teeth in there? But in that, in that time, that was their technology. You know, they, they would, he would get sick, and then they would cut his veins open, and they would bleed him out just to make him well again. That sounds so insane. It's called bleeding. You know, there's, it's, 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 it's bacteria, it's a virus. We're a smarter nation now. You know, George Washington almost lost his life doing that. In fact, he died eventually from, the, from all the bloodletting. So maybe we're not accountable because back then, they didn't know what they were doing. But we know what we're doing. We're smart. We're a smart nation. We have the internet. <laughs> we're very, very smart. We got Facebook. I can get the message out across the nation with one click of a button. I can get anything out to a thousand people just like that. Maybe that's why well, no, it's, it's falling out of favor. Maybe that's why. And Jesus says this. He says that some of the most arrogant people 
are the ones who are affluent. The reason why we favor us falling out of God is because of one word, affluent. Affluence. That is the one reason we have fallen out of favor with God. Because here's, ha- here's what happens. Affluence and humility don't work well together. You know this to be true because some of the most arrogant people you know are affluent, are wealthy. You, you know this too, it's true because you were much more humble when you had a lot less stuff. <laughs> you know that's true. Yeah. Humble beginnings. Then you turn it into the Jeffersons, right? <laughs> right? It's just with affluence and humility, they don't, they're in conflict. They're not in agreement. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me, says in the Proverbs. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and verse 9. You know, this is true as a nation, and it's also true as individuals. The more stuff you have, the less dependent you, we become, and the more arrogant we become. The truth is when God is removed, because the reason is because we've been so blessed from what He's given us. He blessed us, He gave, it, gave us this prosperity, and now we just reject Him because of it. You know, just before Israel entered their, their new home, Moses gave them this pep talk. And he warned them about this dynamic in Proverbs 30, verse 8. You know, they were coming out of a situation where, where they used to live. Pharaoh was law. Slave law. They were an enslaved people. And when they were rescued from that, they had a chance to enter a whole new land that was promised to them by God. And the parents of these kids took that promise and they didn't believe God, that God would actually do this. And so they doubted God had given them this land. And so they ended up wandering around the desert, not able to go into the land because they didn't believe God. They had to wander there for 40 years. And then their children, just like our kids in our classroom, they grow up. And this time they actually believed God says, God's going to give us this land. And so Moses gives them a pep talk. And he tells them that I'm going to repeat what was told to your parents. And the book of Deuteronomy means the second law. It's like a repeat of the law. They're doing it again. It's like a curriculum you want to teach your kids. Your first grade, now the new first grade class comes in, they get the same pep talk. And this pep talk's important because what it says is this. He says, observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to Him and revering Him. Notice the connection between observing and revering. Law and conscience. Law and conscience. To obey God is to honor Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, 
a land with streams and pools of water. And he goes on to describe copper and wheat and barley and honey and all the great stuff. He, he, God gives them so much, so much. And then God says this, you will lack nothing. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. When you have eaten and are satisfied, the pep talk was praise Him. A lot of times when we eat and are satisfied, before the meal, when we're starving, we usually pray and thank God. I don't find myself praying after I'm satisfied. You ever notice that about yourself? I ate a great meal. I'm going, I don't go, let's praise God for that. I'm going like, hey, honey, great job. That was awesome. <laughs> he says to praise him after you're satisfied, after you've been blessed. And then he says, why? Because he's given it to you. Recognition and gratitude are critical components. That's why it's so dangerous to remove God from the national conversation, and it's dangerous to remove God from your individual conversations. Why? Because it keeps us from saying, thank you, God. Because if we don't say thank you, what happens? We forget, and we take the credit. That's just what we do. So, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God failing to observe His commands his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Why did he say that? Because prosperity is not conducive with humility and gratitude. It's not conducive. He says, don't forget. Don't forget God. Don't forget what I've said. Don't forget laws. And God was given civil laws. You know, they entered this land, and there was no king. God was giving them civil law that would be, be impressed upon their conscience so they would make the right decisions. There was no king at this time for them. God was their king. They were just accountable to God. Later on, they wanted a king, and that didn't go well either. But during this time, God gave them certain decrees and laws so it would be upon their conscience. And so they would be accountable to God. That's why we don't drive down the road after we get McDonald's, have a Big Mac. We don't throw our bag out the window when we drive on the freeway, right? When I was 18 years old, that was totally fine to do for me, right? I throw stuff out the window because it was messing up my, my car. <laughs> Can't have stuff in the car. You know, if you leave it in there long, if your car starts to smell, and I bought that nice tree pine, I'm not... so we'd go out. You... No problem. But as I got older and, my, and I, my conscience became informed, that changed. I have more trash in my car than my trash can at home. There's trash everywhere. I open my car door, just paper just flies out. And then I got to go pick it up because my conscience goes, won't let me go. That's littering. If my son's in the car, it's worse than dad. You just littered. One of the things I teach my kids is like respect people's property. 
You know, this Christmas uh, we had our decorations out in our house and had the little, the three penguins saying joy. Had like a little deer we had got from somebody, like a deer. And then during our holidays, someone came by and decapitated our, our penguins and, and um, took our deer and gave it to our neighbor's house over there. And we woke up and we didn't even notice it was even gone until like we, we went outside in the afternoon to go out roller skating, and then we noticed that our penguins had their head cut off. And their head was taken off, and the deer was down there, and it was like, what is going on? And, you know, in the middle of the night, I heard a ruckus outside, but that's just kids. I didn't know the kids were going to go and, you know, do that to us. And I thought about, man, didn't that bother their conscience that they did that? And then I thought about myself in my trash can, you know, days. Like, probably not. Probably not. He says, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, and when you settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow, and your silver and gold increases, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You know, you, you start to think and you start to convince yourself when you forget God that I pulled this off. My ingenuity. The American ingenuity pulled this off. We did it. We're smart. We have the internet. We have social net. We did this. We have cars. We got credit cards. We did this. Our ingenuity. And we forget that's why I give you homework. Find a president who, who is acknowledging God. Because that's what this country was, was founded on, was the accountability that we have to a creator, to a God. And so you start thinking to yourself, hey, my power and the strength of my hands, this is the pep talk that Moses is giving the kids as they got older. Hey, my hands has produced this wealth for me. The problem with my power with my strength that produced, for the problem with that for me is that I'm not accountable to anyone with what I do with this. It's mine. Whether it's free enterprise or capitalism or libertarianism, it doesn't matter. If anything becomes a vehicle for hoarding and injustice, what happens is you have a country now that makes laws to stop you. And they're try, because they're, they're attempting to try to give you a conscience. But if you're not accountable to God, those laws just become frustrating. Because becomes government takeover. When it just should be your conscience to God. But it's not. So our country has to create more laws and more laws in hopes to give us a conscience. But the one thing that we're not talking about is God. We're not talking about why we should do the right thing because God, our creator, has given us this country, this nation, this land. Think about that for a second. We have forgotten. And the only way to confront these kinds of things is with more laws. And that's sad. But remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms this covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is 
today. Isn't that true of all of us? Iron that. But where did that ability come from? Let me give you a little bit of the truth. The truth is this. You're a product of what someone else taught you. You're a product of what someone else taught you. You're also a product of good health. You're also a product of God's talent that he gave you. And you also, you put it to good use. But if you're not careful to remember, you start thinking that, hey, this is my ability. I'm savvy. I'm smart. I'm good. But if you ever forget the Lord your God, this is the pep talk that Moses gives these guys. If you ever forget and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Now, God had a special covenant with Israel's people at that time. That was God's covenant with them. And we're thinking right now going, Woo! I mean, that wasn't me. I'm glad I'm not Israel. You know, if you're not a, a Christian to the, to the, today and you're, and you're here with us, you know, you're off the hook a little bit. It's when you have a connection with God that these things... And for, for this example here, this was their covenant with God. But God keeps going. He says, he says this about the other nations. That's what we commit. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. He, God doesn't give us an out. He says, now Israel had this special covenant with me. But also, a lot of nations fail to acknowledge God, and it seared their conscience. Does this mean that God actively destroys nations today? I don't know. But I know the more arrogant you become, that has enough problems of its own. And it's scary because we are increasingly becoming a country that is saying, Who is the Lord? We don't acknowledge him. You know, in 1944, everybody knew that we were going to invade the country of France to free them from the Nazi occupation of Germany. Everybody knew. They just didn't know when. But everyone knew that we're going there. And what's amazing is that the president gets on the radio, President Roosevelt, gets on the radio and it says to the entire nation, listening in, join me in prayer as we pray. Because what was going to happen was the Battle of D-Day on, 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 on the shores of France was about to happen. If, you, if you've seen Saving Pride Ryan, you get a good idea of what that was going to look like. We start thinking, well, why are we praying? Haven't you prepared enough? Isn't American ingenuity enough? And why are we praying? We're the best military in the world. Why are we praying? And he gets the whole nation together. And he prays for the men and women who are going into harm's way. Amazing. And people objected. And guess what? They were largely ignored. Yeah. And rightly so. Yeah. Prayed for the whole, for the whole country. Out loud. You can look that prayer up. That's pretty awesome. You know, a national church wasn't established. 
He just prayed for the country. He wasn't trying to start a new religion. He just prayed for the country. So God talk was not removed back then, but today it's slowly being eroded. And that mixture of, in 1944, of God and government acknowledging that, it paved the pathway for man. He was known as, before he was known as doctor, he was known as reverend, and he was a pastor. And the civil rights movement was a movement of conscience that was overtly tied to the divine. Here he is at, in, front of, in front of the statue of Lincoln in Washington, D.C. Appropriately, Lincoln is the one who freed the Africans from slavery in our country. Even though our Constitution said that all men, because of God, were created equal, the Founding Fathers knew that to be true, but struggled with it practically. They themselves had slaves. And so there was a hypocrisy, but yet they knew that this is what God wanted, all men to be free. And because there was God in conscience back then in our country, it paved the way for a man to come forward and say to all of us, something is wrong here. Something is very wrong here. These laws are, are not right. They're unjust. Based on what? Based on conscience. And so on this day, August 28th, 1963, at the Lincoln Memorial, he makes a speech entitled, I Have a Dream. If you haven't ever heard that, you should YouTube that. Because we're a smart nation. We have YouTube, right? <laughs> you don't have to go back in history and wonder what he said. You can actually listen to it yourself. And when you listen to it, close your eyes for a moment. Because it totally impacts your conscience. And this is what he says, Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. Because in that type of time frame in America, African Americans were not part of God's children. They were somebody else's children. So he's saying, we're all, let's make this a reality. And he says this, And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. What a great phrase to put in your speech. Where did he get that from? Got that from the Bible. Conscience, Scripture, appealing to our goodwill. Our conscience. He writes, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. He's quoting the Declaration of Independence in the speech. The true meaning of the creed. Which is, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal. What a speech. You know, I was a young boy when I first heard it, and I thought, that guy's a good speaker. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know he was a preacher. I didn't know all that, but I'm like, he was just an orator. He could say things, he could just stir your soul. And he ends with this quote 
he ends his speech with this quote, and it's re- he refers it to it. He he refers to it as the old Negro spiritual, and it says, "Free at last, free at last." And the last phrase is, he says, "Thank God Almighty, free at last." You know, when I was uh, when I just got married in two thousand to my lovely wife Karen. You know, up to that point, we had double dates in church. You know, we, we didn't go anywhere without a double. We, we were not above, you know, doing that. So I, I was a single man. I was a minister. I was dating Karen. She was in the ministry with me. And we were dating. And we didn't go on any dates by ourselves. It was always with somebody else, right? Date, double dates. Very wise to do. Very practical to do, right? And so when we got married, and we're on the limo. And we're about to take off and we have the rice and the champagne. I shout out, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. From Double Dates. We'll see you later. Because I remember that quote as a child and it just happened to go in my head. I'm free from double dating. My conscience now is clear. I'm good. Free at last. Dr. King appealed to our national conscience, not law. Our accountability to God, our divinely informed conscience created that leverage. It created that leverage for us just to make a change. So if we erase God from the national conversation and you eliminate our ability to be grateful to anyone but ourselves. When you eliminate God from politics and national leadership, then they're, they're accountable to no one but us. When you dismiss God from the equation, we detach our conscience from the policies that they put out. You know, here's a question I always wondered. Why do we have to work so hard to protect our kids and ourselves from harmful websites? Why? Why is what we know to be, you know, what is what we know to be, it's illegal, but yet it's so harmful? Because law has replaced conscience. That's why. We have to make laws now. Because we can't even go on the internet without just filtering all kinds of stuff. Because we're losing our national conscience. That's wrong to put up on the internet. We have these laws now. And while we try to debate the size of government and the stimulus plan and how rich is rich enough, we lose under God. I mean, we don't want a theocracy, but we want to be governed by law by those who understand every single day. We want to be governed by people who understand every single day that law is not enough. You need a conscience. You have to have a conscience. We're in search of a conscience. We have to be a nation of a conscious people that we're accountable, not just to the American people, but we're accountable to God. That's why we have a conscience. So I want to invite you to be unashamed to invite God back in your conversations. That's a great conversation to have. Why is God not acknowledged more in our country? 
And I want to invite you to be unashamed, not just, not just in a political conversation, but also just in a friendly conversation. Yeah. Where's God? Is he falling out of favor where, where we don't want to talk about God because it might upset this person? Yeah, we go back to offending the Creator because we don't want to offend our neighbor. It, it should be flipped, right? Yeah. Other way around. So, let us be a people that not only we're in search of a conscience, but we can find our conscience when it's informed by God's Word. Next week, we're going to start a new series. We're going to recovery. We're going to recover what we lost. You see here, there's a bunch of little signs here, economic. It'll be somewhat economic, but it's also spiritual recovery. That we're trying to get more in touch with God. We talked about the country. We'll talk about the country a little bit, but now we're going to go into in more individual, what we can do as a people to be accountable to God. To know God. To look out. And I have some homework for you. Well, that, that, that series will last about six weeks. And I want to invite you to invite your friends Amen. to come to this series. Amen. Invite them to come and be with us along for this journey. Let's bow our heads in a, close, a closing prayer.